It's quite the story. Well, we're talking about God's point of view today. Uh, We're shifting it from what God sees when he looks at us to enable us to take what we know about him to look at other people. And so the title of the message is simply seeing other people as God sees them. Now, as a kind of a reminder, uh, last week, remember, we looked at how God sees us. He sees us as acceptable. Uh, He sees us as valuable, lovable, forgivable, and capable. But today we're going to focus on seeing other people the way God sees them. And we're going to kind of use this story. We're going to come back to this story continually. Oh, that may be in a whole bunch of different Bible verses between here and there. But we want to see that his desire is that we not just be kind of a, a big reservoir of grace, but instead we can open up the floodgates and we become streams of God's grace and God's mercy wherever we happen to be with whomever we happen to be. First uh, John uh, 4 verse 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know uh, God because, and then there's a simple three little words, because God is love. And the reverse is true that if a person does know God, it should follow that we ought to be more loving people. If your life is kind of devoid of love and you have little or no compassion for people, uh, your faith isn't fact. It's probably more like fiction. It was St. Augustine, I don't know, hundreds of years ago, who said, love slays what we have been so that we might be what we are not. Now, that's kind of what we talked about last week. God invades our life and he invades our life. Maybe it's through baptism for many of us when we were children, maybe older adults. Or there was a time when suddenly we realized Anthony was talking about Anthony's talked about this many times about how he kind of drifted through and all the day one day became real to it. And that maybe that happened for many of you. God's love invaded your life and suddenly you were a different person. And when we understand that, we begin to see ourselves differently and it changes our past, it changes our present, and it actually changes our entire future because now we begin to look at life and we begin to look at people differently. Now, Jesus one time was asked this great question, what's the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus said the greatest commandment of all really is only two parts. He didn't recite the Ten Commandments for him, according to Luther. He just said, well, they're really basically only two great commandments. One of them is to love God with everything that's in you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, body, mind, soul, and spirit. And then he said, and by the way, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in this little story uh, from Luke 13 that Larry just read to us, Jesus paints a wonderful portrait of what this pouring out love is really kind of all about. And from this, I'm going to share with you five challenges. Um, and I, I want you to know that as I've gone through these, these are landing in my lap heavy. And it's not just I'm up here as the pastor pontificating today and say, you all need to do this because I need to do this too. Um, but here's challenge number one, and that's to look around you. I mean, look around. Look, look who's there. See, Jesus, as he's teaching in the synagogue, it's kind of like me. I'm up here teaching, and I'm looking around, and I can see y'all. Now, Jesus is in the synagogue, and it says he's up there teaching. And by the way, I'm nowhere close to Jesus in the synagogue. I just want you to understand that. And his eyes suddenly lock on this person. He finds this woman, and the Bible says Jesus saw her. 
It wasn't he noticed her. He saw her. And, and, and that, that Greek word there is pretty much in depth. He knew something was going. Uh, and he was moved with compassion. Now, compassion is that, my favorite Greek word, schlanknitzomai. I just like the way it sounds. It means to feel it in your guts. I mean, it just moved him. Now, one of the greatest miracles of life, to me, I think, is that God actually pays attention to us. Uh, God is so intimately interested, he's so knowledgeable in the details of our life, that the Bible actually says that every hair on your head is numbered, and one falls out, he notices. Now, Lou, or Jeff, or Ed, or myself, it's been my experience that while he notices it, he doesn't replace it. But, but at least he notices what's happening. Now, no one has ever noticed and paid attention like Jesus did. For example, let me give you another scripture. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And this is Jesus. When he looked out over the crowds, and Jesus attracted big crowds, by the way. He was a megachurch preacher at that time. It says his heart broke because there were so many confused and aimless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, paying attention is a powerful force. In fact, psychologists would tell us that uh, a baby to grow up healthy, and those of you who raise children, uh, it needs food, it needs water, and it needs the attentive care of a human being. And this is actually known as attunement, not atonement. That's what Jesus does. This is attunement, which is the gaze of a face that says, you matter. Now, in this story, Jesus' eyes catch this woman and this crippled woman. And he turns his face to her and he looks her in the eye and she's got his attention and she, he's got her attention. And now I've got just a couple of observations about the world we, we move in because we're not really very good at that. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not always very good at this. But one of the things I would tell you is there are all kinds of people who are just waiting to be noticed. Now, if you were at uh, White River the other day, a lot of people come. There are a number of people who come in, don't say much, but they, they like to be noticed. Uh, I find particularly, I've kind of drawn to little kids, I got a hand out cookies the other day. They kind of like to be made over, um, you know, kidding them about being cookie monsters and stuff like that. But... Uh, all kinds of people waiting to be noticed. And they, you pass them every day. You pass them everywhere. Uh, they may dress nice. Uh, they may have a good job, live in a good neighborhood, drive a nice car. Uh, they shake your hand and they smile and they say everything is okay. Uh, but on the inside, they're just dying, dying for somebody to pay attention to them and to notice them. And like this woman, emotionally and spiritually, Many of them are literally crippled, whether we know it or not. And if we were discerning and to pick on the clues, we could almost hear their spirits sometimes cry out, would you please pay attention to me? Now, of course, a lot of people around us, you know, put up barriers. They have walls. They don't want anybody in. But their loneliness and their quiet desperation, they really long to be noticed. They want to be interacted with. And all kinds of people in our world work really hard to put up these walls because they feel unlovable. They feel uh, unacceptable. But deep down, I think all of us have this inner thought that says, would anybody here notice me? Are they really interested in me? 
Here's the second thing. It's my observation that you really have to slow down to see people. You really do. I mean, think of it this way. If you were standing on Route 65, and um, would you notice them if they flew by you doing 75 instead of 65? Uh, Or would you notice them more if you were having to be standing, let's say, downtown Branson and people walk by you? On the sidewalk. Well, you know, sometimes the speed of our lives causes us to miss out some things. We're just way too busy to, to catch people. Now, I'm going to give you a, an example of something of which I am uh, very guilty of. Um, do you ever run into somebody, let's say, in a parking lot or at Walmart or at the grocery store or at the coffee shop, and uh, you see them and you go, Hi, how you doing? And then they have the audacity to actually stop and start telling you how they're doing. And you're thinking to yourself, hold it, <laughs> wait a minute here. I, that, that's, this is not how this game is supposed to be played. I, 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 I wasn't really serious. I was just, I was just being nice. Did ever happen to you? Now, if I had a, a post my report card on the screen uh, from this past week, how well I looked around and noticed people, I don't think I would have scored real well. Um, but this much I know that if you want to be like God, you've got to pay attention to other people. You do. You've got to notice, especially the people that nobody else notices. And there are a lot of people like that. And so throughout this Bible passage, I'm going to offer some possibilities here just simply to say don't hurry past people. Pay attention. So here's the second challenge for you today. Take a risk. Yeah, that's all we need to do. Take a risk, huh? See, Jesus saw her. But then he took a risk and he actually started talking to her and then he actually called her forward. Now, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And he goes, you, come up here. Now, if I did that to some of you this morning, you're going to go, what? <laughs> What's this all about? But just think about how she must have felt. Uh, how awkward, how embarrassing this crippled woman who's all, you know, she's all hunched over. She's bent over for the last 18 years of her life. And now the teacher wants her to walk the aisle, to come down front. But see, here's the point. When you choose to demonstrate bold, reckless, radical love of Jesus, sometimes it's risky. It really is. Generally, our temptation is to play it safe. So in a world that's just full of uh, I don't know, insecurity, uh, fear, uh, we tend to quarantine our lives and families. But God wants us to be on the lookout for people wherever we happen to be, you know, whether they be in our neighborhoods or whether they be in a coffee shop on a on a morning or whether they're in the marketplace or whether they're in the schools or whether they're over at White River or wherever you happen to be. You know, these are people out there. You can be the love of Jesus with real people, with real love. Now, the reality is, though, when you do take a risk and you reach out and love people, not everybody's going to like it. You may be rejected. Sometimes it's messy and you'll get hurt. Uh, Love anything and your heart risks being broken. So if you want to keep your heart intact, here's my advice. Keep it to yourself. But that's not real life. See, instead, Jesus says, enter into life's experiences. He calls us to demonstrate this love of Christ that we profess as we sing uh, songs in church and as we pray and we listen to Pastor Babylon, you know, he's commanded us to love people that we might not normally want to love. 
I'm going to jump back to Matthew chapter 5 for a moment. This is verse 46. It says, if you love only the people who love you, what does he go? You will get no reward. Even the tax collectors do that. I mean, imagine, even the IRS love people. <laughs> you guys got to be better than the IRS. And if you're nice only to your friends, you're no better than other people. Even those who don't know God are nice to, other, to their friends. So the question is, who do you need to love that's not easy to love? Can you get an immediate picture in your mind of who that might be? Yeah. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were all so filled with the love of Jesus that we would actually start taking the risk uh, to say loving things to people around us? Or that we took the risk to maybe actually give somebody a hug, an appropriate one. Thank you, Deb, this morning. She, she was already acting on it this morning. <laughs> First of all, she tells me, good look on her young man, and then she gives me a hug on top of it. See, she was exhibiting this. We, I wish we had this on the screen to show this again. She's the exhibit A in today's message. You know, that we would, we would start taking the risk of just loving acts of kindness spontaneously. Uh, that we just kind of unleash an army of people that are willing to walk out the front door of this place, go down several blocks and love a whole bunch of people that we really don't know and we don't know anything about. You know, when when you read the New Testament, and I, I would say go ahead and read it, you see that Jesus lavished grace on a whole bunch of people and love, people who were put down, used up, left behind. The Bible actually says Jesus' friends outside of his disciples were what? Other sinners, prostitutes, lepers, and drunks. Isn't that interesting? Those are the people Jesus attracted. And why did they kind of want to come to Jesus? Well, they loved him because he was comfortable being with them. But sometimes that's risky. You know, one of the things I think about down in prison is I've eaten with these guys every time I've ever been down there. I, and it, they'll tell me I'm one of very few people, or, or Miss Cheryl when she comes with me. Nancy's been there once. I think once was enough for her. But uh, <laughs> we're down there eating with them all the time. And they'll say, you know, other people kind of come and they do hit-and-run ministry. Come in and teach, and then they disappear. You live with us. You hang out with us. You come to chapel with us at night. You eat our food. I think that's kind of interesting. Because that's a challenge. <laughs> I'll tell you, there's a challenge right there. But what would cause you to take those kinds of risks? Well, I'm going to go to Paul here. And Paul, speaking by the Holy Spirit to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.14, for Christ's love compels us. And that's a really strong Greek word. It just drives us out. Like it almost, you can almost put the word catapult in there. It would make, kind of make sense. Because we're convinced, what? That one died for all and therefore all died. His love compels us. It's the love of Jesus when it... When it invades your life, you find yourself doing a bunch of stuff you never thought about you'd ever do before. You start taking risks. And there's some real people in, in this real world that has some real stuff going on. And sometimes it's just a risk. And, and I've done this on occasion. I'm sure many of you have, too. That as you get to talking to them, you, you get a sense. And you just kind of find something. Said, Could I just pray for you? And there'll be a moment of silence because people are like, you know, what's, this, what's going to happen now? Is the guy to lay hands on me or something? But I've, I've really, well, I've only had a few people ever tell me, no, don't bother. But I'll tell you, the majority of people I've ever said, can I pray for you right now? 
said, yeah, that would be nice. Well, it's the love of Jesus that does that. Well, here's the third challenge. Reach out. Reach out. In this life, you're never going to meet anybody that's not created in the image of God. Uh, you're never going to shake hands with a person that Jesus didn't die for. I mean, I don't know how many hands you may have shook if you were out at, at White River the other day. How many hands you've shook in the last week? Every last one of those people, Jesus died for those people. You're never going to walk down the street or walk through Harder House or Sunfest or Kmart. or Kmart's not there anymore. Walmart, <laughs> Bass Pro. Uh, uh, you, you're never going to pass anyone who doesn't matter to God. Uh, you never lock eyes with another individual who is not on God's heart. That's because God's love reaches out. Now, in this story again, you go back to this little story. Jesus saw her. That's the first thing. He saw her. He noticed her. He then calls her forward, which has taken a big risk for a Jewish rabbi, by the way. But then he reached out to her and he actually put his hands on her. And he spoke to her, and then he healed her. You have no idea how many people sitting in that audience went, Oh my gosh, did you see what Jesus just did? He, he violated about every law you could think of in the Pharisees' eyes in church. Now, when you, when you read the life of Jesus, you're struck by the fact that Jesus is just so kind. He's so nice. Especially the people who were broken and hurting. People who thought they weren't broken and weren't hurting. Jesus wasn't particularly nice to them all the time. I mean, he loved them, but he confronted them. Now, Paul kind of captures this. It's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. He says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And then he gives us the reason why. Just as God through Christ has forgiven you. I mean, you and I, as forgiven people of God, we're going to go through some words of brokenness and words of restoration. We're admitting we're sinful human beings, but God has restored us. We need to take that same thing out to other people. Now, Jesus reaches out to this woman in three different ways. One, he saw her. And that's, you know, I walk past way too many people. Uh, I try to slow down, but we need to see people. Uh, he paid attention. His eyes locked on her. And he actually spoke to her. Uh, it was Mother Teresa who said that uh, words can be uh, short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Maybe you can remember a time in your life that somebody said something very encouraging to you. You can remember it to this day. Maybe you remember a teacher, you know, when you were art class, Anthony. I don't know. It wouldn't have happened to me, but maybe to somebody like Anthony. Anthony. Well, that's really cool. What are you doing? And you kind of say, well, I'm just going to draw on this. And they says, that's really good stuff. And you remember those things. I can remember uh, getting a tackle in a football game down on the goal line. And when I came off the field, Larry Edding, Nancy knows Larry. Larry was a college football player. He was a little All-American. He's now a pastor. And, and when I came off, he came over and he grabbed me by the shoulder pads and says, Man, what a heads-up play. You know, I still remember that. I was probably 17 years old when a college football player said something encouraging to me. All of you got memories like this. But then Jesus put his hands on her. He touched her. 
Now, when I was a kid growing up in Seward, Nebraska, a terrible disease broke out at St. John's Lutheran School when I was there. I'm not sure how people got it. But once they did, everybody knew it and everybody avoided them. And at the school I attended, the boys generally thought the girls had it, and the girls generally thought the boys had it. Now, some of you may already know what I'm talking about because you had it. It's called cooties. (laughs) Everybody know what cooties are? (laughs) When you're a kid on a playground... And you've had cooties. You have cooties. Somebody said, "Hey guys, got cooties." You are now the terror. Uh, you have the terror of all terrors because you're untouchable. But this silly, made-up childhood disease isn't funny when it when it's uh, as adults we begin to feel the same way that we feel somehow that we're untouchable or nobody wants us around or. It's complicated by cultural factors on top of that. We live in a technologically automated uh, society that makes it almost impossible sometimes to live and to function without ever seeing people or talking to them or being touched by another person. You know, you can sit around and go to a restaurant today and see six people sitting there all looking at their phones, not watching anything else other than what happens to be on their phone. That's the way we live life. Add to that the fear that people today have about abuse, and it's a justifiable concern, or about mistreatment, or what we would call inappropriate touch. Uh, And the results are that we tend to be even more withdrawn, less apt to reach out a hand, and God forbid that we would (laughs) come up and hug the pastor in the morning. Uh, But all of us need those kinds of things. In fact, studies have conducted that people who experience or are offered meaningful touch or regular hugs uh, actually live longer, live longer. Now, we've all been in stores that say, uh, please don't touch. Uh, Maybe we ought to hang a sign on the door. Come on in. We'll be glad to touch you. But I don't think we want to put that sign on the door. We'd have to explain that first. (laughs) We'd have to explain that. But this week, what I'm I'm saying is (laughs) because Anthony's like, I'm... Uh, you know what I mean, but we're, we're willing to, whatever, just to consider telling somebody that you love them and then maybe hand out a hug or a, hand, a handshake or a high five or, um, you know, I walk by, I, yeah, a fist bump or I walk by Anthony and I say, sup, <laughs> he goes, sup, <laughs> okay, that's our, intera- our social interaction for the day. Okay, here's the fourth challenge. Uh, expect some criticism. Uh, you read on in this story, it says indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and get healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And I wrote in my notes, how ridiculous is that? I mean, we don't do miracles on Sunday. That's what they're saying. Come back another time. And Jesus says, you hypocrites, hypocrites, you two-faced people. Every time I hear that, every time I watch a Three Stooges movie, and Three Stooges always have these two faces, one that smiles and the one front. That's hypocrites, masks that you put on and take off back and forth. He says, you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath at least untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead it out and give a little bit of water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, boy, that would have cut right to their core, whom Satan has kept bound, by the way, this is, a satanic attack on this woman for 18 years be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. 
See, here's what Jesus was so upset about. He said, you have made this a policy issue and not a people issue. Now, when I wrote this and I was looking back at my notes, I thought, man, I wonder how many churches have actually done that. Everything's a policy issue. When it should be a people issue. I'm just saying people to restore. Let's make sure it's always a people issue. We don't need policies. We need people issues the way Jesus talks about. And I'm not saying we don't have to have rules of how certain things get done, but let's not make it a policy. See, he had little patience for self-righteous, pompous, religious people that cared little or nothing about people. In fact, one of the things that Jesus was most harshly criticized for were the kind of people he hung around with. Well, I've already talked about this. Luke 7, 34. The Son of Man came eating and drinking and saying, Oh, look at him. He eats too much and drinks too much wine, and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, today we'd say, you know, I don't know, our pastor, he didn't eat and drink with anybody. Look at him. He eats way too much. He drinks too much beer, and he hangs out with guys down in prison. <laughs> well, whatever. Here's the point. Jesus refused to let his critics sidetracking from spontaneously showing what we call random acts of love. See, when you choose to be a dispenser of God's love, there are going to be people, and they're going to actually be religious people, believe it or not, religious people who say, well, that's not how we do it here. Or we don't associate with those kind of people. Now, friends, learn from Jesus and don't let critics stop you. Um, Look around, take a risk, move outside your comfort zone, speak words of love to people, be willing to Touch people appropriately, and don't be afraid of the criticism. It might just happen. Here's number five. Seize the moment, otherwise known as what? Carpe diem, seize the day. Jesus would likely never speak in that synagogue again. I have a feeling as a guest pastor that he, he was, he's never going to be allowed back in that church. Uh, it was likely he'd never see that woman ever again. Uh, but he did not let the opportunity pass. This is why, you know, in John's first epistle writing by the Holy Spirit, my dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. That's carpe diem. Seize the day. Seize the moment. So we need to be honest. In a real world, it's not always a grace and love filled world. In fact, the great philosopher Norm on Cheers uh, once said it's a dog eat dog world and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. I don't know if I should apologize for that, but that's that's the kind of world we live in sometimes. Now, I know some of us look at our world and its needs and we can get a little bit paralyzed and say, I can't meet everybody's needs. That's true. You can't. But there's always a but. But you can meet someone's needs. Someone that God brings into your world. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we're just humbled that you would love us. And now that we get the opportunity to express that love to other people, give us compassion. Uh, Fill us with your love and help us to see people, uh, to notice them, to pay attention. Help us to be willing to take a risk to do that, which sometimes seems really uncomfortable to go slow enough in this world to notice people around us. And then, Lord, help us to reach out, to, to touch, to love, to speak, to hug, and help us to seize the moment as you give us this day and the days to come that we might share the love of Jesus 
for it's in his name we pray. Amen.